what is your awkward? What are your places that you can love and embrace for the differences and let go of anything else that you see or judging yourself? To? I don't care if the Joneses have a boat, you guys. So own your awkward this week, lean into it, keep your eyes shut. Welcome back to the Own Your Awkward podcast. I'm your host, Andy Vargo, and every episode we get into what has made our guests vulnerable and how they've learned how to own their awkward in order to live their best life. Stay tuned so you can hear every awkward moment in today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Own Your Awkward podcast. We are about to get so awkward with Peggy Williams, Coach Peggy Williams, the amazing vibe, amazing woman. Peggy, how are you today? Thanks for being here. I am so awkward. No, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for coming we, to the saloon in our B-roll. We were talking about boss. So there you yeah, go, guys. <laughs> exactly. And and Peggy brought just the right environment. She's ready to just turn around after we're done and go, go to happy hour. Yeah. I love it. Me too. How are you doing, buddy? Thanks for having me along. Let's just, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun. Who knows? We are. It's it's always a pleasure. I tell you, for for those who haven't listened to some of our stuff, we've, we've got a lot of stuff out there. Peggy has a show. Peggy has all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, we met at Encounter 360 this last year and just instantly clicked, had just good energy going and have, you know, managed to do something since then. And I was blessed to be part of your latest book, Winning the Wellness War, We Are Responsible, which has just been an amazing, um, amazing compilation. It bestseller, dude. Like what? It yeah. did. It did so, yeah. And you're part of the next book too. So you're not going anywhere. So yeah, well, I actually, yes, I was already thinking about my story before I got your reminder the other day, the little poke, which I appreciated because it was like three months ahead, but yeah. I actually have, I was just talking to our, our friend and, and your co-author Marcus Vetstein uh, yesterday or the day before. And I said, yeah, I've, I've got this story and I've got that one. And I'm trying to think, well, maybe this last one would have been better for this book. But now that I've, now that I've thought about it a little bit more, this is actually really appropriate for the upcoming book, the one that's in my head. So I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, to speak to us like instantly clicking. I think that's really important for us to think about because I was always thinking about awkward, right? This morning mm-hmm. I was getting this pretty face on, which is a lot of work. Um, but I was thinking about awkward and I was thinking for me personally, sometimes my awkward is really what sets me apart. And I don't even know how I kind of got here. Right. So the awkward of like perfectionism is kind of my story. Um, and I was thinking about how awkward can bring that energy. So when I was thinking of you from across the room, that's really when I fell in love with you is that energy that, can feel awkward. You're a complete stranger. And I walked up to you and said, yeah, um, you were sitting across from me. I think I'm like, I don't know you, but this is what we're going to do. And you're like, okay, we're exchanging books and stuff. But I think the awkward can be taking that risk to meet somebody where your energy aligns and just stepping into that. And it can be a beautiful and, you know, wonderful journey to do that. Right. And, And on the flip side is receiving when people meet you. And like, if someone comes up to you being okay, saying, I don't know where this is going, but 
let's explore it. Let's see, let's see how it goes. And it'll be I fun. think we're in a day and age right now where everybody's so nervous that it's a hook, right? Or a okay. magnet or somebody's going to want something from me. You know, mm -hmm. now that everybody is kind of a coach, I always say there's eyelash coaches and do you need your appendix out coach? And oh my <laughs> God, right. but three or four years ago before this, even before COVID about two, eight, 2018, I started to really no notice the coach thing in takeoff. Yeah. And that got really muddied up with and I'm those of us who have been in this lane for a while, you know, the certifications right. and trying to get those acronyms after your name and trying to to do all of those things. And so I think that taking that risk, meeting someone different or somebody sliding into your DMs or getting an email, we immediately go, oh, my God, what do they want? What right. are they going to sign up for? And we're missing some of these cool opportunities. I think that's why I got into the storytelling piece, Andy, is just that if we can go back here mm -hmm. and just find something that's real and transparent and authentic, even if it's like being adopted or whatever, then we can connect without people thinking we want something from them. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I think one thing, being in person makes a huge difference. When yeah. you instant, you, it, 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 you know, pulls out that, um, uh, that level of I'm trying to read into the words that are on this DM or I'm trying to read through this intent, but I know looking at you face to face, I can really catch your sincerity. Oh. Yeah. And things are lost in translation too. And people don't vet each other. When I start to approach somebody to work with that's new, the very first bullet point I say is go vet me because I'm not for everybody. And I don't want to be. Exactly. I'm at the age right now where I'm going to pick and choose who I work with because I'm tired of convincing people I'm a cool chick. So number <laughs> one, I say, go vet me. And if you're aligned with kind of what I'm doing, then let's play but yeah. i don't want to do cold calls anymore where i have to convince people of this is my professional resume and this is my heart and these are my references like right you know peace out so if you can't things get lost in translation when you're sending emails and friend requests whereas you're right face to face you can feel that vibe covid switched that though right i mean but then yeah. when people learn more zoom even through here yeah. we can vibe so yeah, you can at least get the next closest thing when we can do yeah. video. Yeah. One of the things when people slide into my DMs, like let's say I get a new connection on LinkedIn and they slide in and the first thing that I get is the, you know, hey, wouldn't you like to have this kind of situation or life or whatever? Would you like to have a six-figure income? No, yeah. no. Yeah, I just, no. <laughs> I, I let it, I let it slide and I, I usually wait because I know that within 48 hours, I'm going to get the follow-up because I'm on their automated system. And even if it's the, hey, how's it going? I just, I, I let it sit there and watch to see what the follow-up, because I know that it's pretty much on an automated thing. And every once in a while, that doesn't happen. Or it's someone that I'm connected to genuinely through someone else where I know. Maybe just going to say that. That's one of the best ways to get rid of kind of that awkward is the yeah. good old, who do you know? Who do you know? Yeah. That they can sit back in their Rolodex and go, oh yeah, Rolodex. In their contact <laughs> list, they can sit back and go. They use a pre-COVID word. <laughs> yeah, or pre-2010. Um, but they can go back into their contact list and be kind of that mediator of like, here's some vibing people. And that connection automatically, like you said, with the 360, that business event yeah. that we, you know, that event that we were at in March. I knew Dennis, you knew Dennis, and immediately I respected that, whoa, you're there for a reason because you're connected to these people. So if yeah. it's awkward and you don't want to do that face-to-face -face or to go into somebody's DMs, 
go into your own contact list and say, do you know an author? Do you know a podcaster? Do you know somebody that would be cool to have coffee with and let them do some of the lead lead work? Right. Yeah. And then it comes with an introduction to where it isn't that cold call anymore. It's, hey, you need to know Peggy. You're both in the same area. You both are doing similar things, whatever the whatever the connection is. And a whole different level. I've, we need I've, to do a better job at that, Andy. Honestly, messaging that and sending that, I think people are forgetting that. It's just to sit back and just look at everybody. Remember the day when we used to have seven, eight, nine, ten really close friends and you all went out and had coffee or a beer or dancing or the movies. It was big. And right. that's how everybody kept meeting everybody and meeting everybody. You'd invite new people. But I don't think we're, I know I'll go on record. I'm not doing a good job of sitting back and going, who can I connect? Who could I collaborate, yeah. you know, introduce? Yeah. I, I sometimes when I happen to be somewhere, like if I'm at an event, like a that yeah. we have local business coffee meetups and things, and I'll be yeah. like, you need to meet so-and-so, but it's a different level to sit back before you go out and to sit at home or in your office and think, wait, who do I need totally. to pull together? Who do I need to invite to coffee? What are the things that I should do or even just message and say, you should know so-and-so. Yeah. And I think there's still an element of, I don't want to bring a couple people together that do what I do. I've never come from that arena of like, oh, someone's going to steal my crap. I've never come from that place. I'm just like, be the beacon, go run, run. But there is a big element of that. I think as more people try to be entrepreneurs and get rid of this whole ridiculous corporate thing that's still going on in the world and do their own thing, they do get creative. But most of the time, to be honest, creativity and content because it comes from seeing something, right. you know, reading a book, a Harlequin romance when you were 15 kind of gave you some tips and tricks. So I have heard several times in the last couple of years, well, Peggy, aren't you nervous about this person doing this or mimicking this? And that is still really prevalent out there. And we we got to get over that because you're your own brand. Yeah. And we could both talk about my gavel mm -hmm. and yours would still be a different presentation than mine because we are our own brand. Right. So. And and as you connect with that audience. There, there's a couple things there. One is you may be able to, to co collaborate and do something together where you reach twice as many people. You may also have the opportunity where, you know, one person worked with, with someone last year and now they're ready to work with you or back and forth. And like you said, there's so much to tap into. If we were just that coach that was coaching people on needing their appendix out, all of a sudden it's like, how many people need that? There's more people than you could service just in your Absolutely. state. Absolutely. Yeah. There are enough people out there for us to connect and help people in a certain, and you know, it's exhausting to do this one-on-one -on -one anymore. Oh, I would rather yeah. talk to 50 people and have four or five people resonate with what I'm saying than to do this one-on-one -on -one thing. That's why I, I closed my coaching practice last year is, you know, I used to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one or group or large group coaching, and then I did wellness retreats and everything, but the numbers still weren't big enough. It, meaning you you still end up with a little bit of your fan club, right? Yeah. The ones that'll follow you no matter what. Right. But that generation of income, I mean, we only have 168 hours a week and I ran out of time, to be frank. Yeah. I couldn't help enough people financially stay stable because I just didn't have the time to do it. So that's when I kind of closed everything and I said, okay, now how can I help others help themselves and yeah. spread the platform and that kind of spider web thing going on. So wow. here we are. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point because like, I actually have just 
when I got started on this, I was like, I want to coach 10 people a week. Like, because I was looking at the numbers, like if I have 10 coaching clients and, you know, six to 10 plus a speaking gig mixed in once a month, I was like, this is the numbers that will make sense for getting by life, whatever. And, and then as I've gotten through it, I was like, I actually like this side of my business a lot more. I, I like coaching, but not so much that I want to fill my schedule. Like there's, mm-hmm. that's too many people. And, and now I'm like, I'm happy with two max four, but really just a couple coaching clients. That's what I have room for. And because I, I like coaching, it, it keeps me really engaged in what's going on, what troubles people are facing. Yes. Uh, it gives me a lot of fulfillment to help people mm-hmm. find a solution for their needs. And I don't get that when I'm speaking in front of a crowd necessarily, because I'll get the, oh, this light went on or I got this. Sure, yeah. They're asking questions and really saying, well, what if we try this? Or have you tried that? Or what can you try? And then all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, the next week, I, my life has changed because I did this thing. That's a whole different level. However, mm-hmm. I only have room to do that with a couple of people because... I also get very involved with my clients. So I don't exactly. Have- I was gonna I was gonna interject that is that um not only is it the time component and the prep component, I'm a big preparer. I don't just, you know, show yeah. up to a client presentation or anything and um or a client meeting. But what I was finding is as I had done this for so many decades, and I, I always said I was a go deep, you know, I'm a visceral type coach in person. Yeah. I didn't go lateral, make the buck and move on, or we were probably right. wouldn't be having this conversation here. You'd be in my mansion. So that <laughs> didn't work. But um for me, the the energy off of each individual person. So if I met with a 19-year-old male who was going to getting ready to go or was in college and that energy that it took to talk to him about his dating or relationship, get off that, go over here to a mom who is 46 years old and has PCOS. And then I'm coming over here to a lawyer who just got fired. The shift for me as I got older was exhausting. Oh, I yeah. couldn't coop, you know, and it's like, so, and I mean, storytelling can be like that too, as well. These compilation books that we've been in together, I had to learn the first year, the first book to really, I had to start to think, well, why does this feel like this? Or why am I struggling with even looking at this today? Well, a lot of it could have been the story I read yesterday right. and I had to kind well, of walk okay. away. Yeah. Go for a walk and not wear their emotion. Cause that's mm-hmm. not my role. I'm not a coach anymore when it comes to, you know, that type of stuff. I don't need to call them and work through their just saw a ghost thing, Um, (laughs) which has happened to some of my authors. But yeah, it's, I think that's the, um, the recognition as you do get older, when you get just representing yourself, it's like, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to eat. This is where I'm going to go. This is where I'm going to live. And it's because we tried to please. That was what I was talking to you about. Um, at the beginning of your show, as you had said, you know, what's your awkward or let's talk about the awkward. And I had brought up perfectionism. For me, when I look back at my life growing up, I always knew I wanted to help others. I, I always knew in some fashion, whether it was training or nutrition or whatever it was, wellness programs, I was going to help others. But I really started thinking that, again, I was prepping for this, thinking about this this morning. How did we, I get to who I am today? Like what happened to me all the, you know, through age 10, where I went, I'm going to help people. Right. Because it wasn't this big wake up aha back then. It was 1989 when I got my first certifications. But what I thought about is that perfectionism is my awkward. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is that 
for some reason, I've had to learn to embrace that, like many of us do with our awkward. Whatever our awkward is, you have to learn to acknowledge it, face it, make it work for you, and move on. And I don't know where that came from specifically. I know as a firstborn, and you know, the overachieving and perfectionism, is that genetic? You know, is it epidemiology? Is it because my my adopted father said, you better get A's and put up and shut up and be a cute little girl. Maybe, I don't know. But yeah. that's been my awkward because now it was in my 40s where I finally realized use this for the betterment of, you know, just don't run from it. So, right. Was there yeah. was there a point where you felt like perfectionism was holding you back or was oh, yeah. stepping you out? Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes you don't identify it until decades later when you're in right. counseling. Um, but for me, through my um, late teens and early 20s, when I was kind of off on my own, I was the first one to get, a, you know, go to college and those differences because I had a teenage mom. I think in my teens, I felt like I switched over to being the parent. Mm -hmm. I, I moved into like, I'm going to a prom and my mom never has. I'm getting, you know, scholarships for college and she never has. Mm -hmm. You know, she's never in all of these steps. So I started to feel like, I better figure this out and be a good example. I had siblings and stuff. But once I got into my senior year in high school, I was diagnosed with anorexia, eating disorder. And um, that I think stemmed to wanting to have a little bit of control, which is, is yeah. right, is trying to. And then as I went into my personal training and focusing on nutrition, and then I went to bodybuilding and Miss Fitness, it's all focused on perfection. Oh, you know, yeah. seeking that perfect deltoid, seeking that perfect, you know, client base, seeking the best corporation you work with. And so it was a bunch of bests. Wow. And I just got more and more and more sick. And until, you know, like maybe 10 years ago, did I realize that that behavior was affecting my vessel? It's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the journey of kind of this pursuit of perfection in all these different areas of life. And yet that pursuit of it, it is what was actually creating this unperfect life. Absolutely. And for me to sit back and not try to find something wrong, like, it, it, you know, I get to the play, got to the place in my life where I'm like, why do I work so much? Why does everybody think I'm weird because I work so much? Why are they telling me to take a break and watch a movie? I don't want to take a break and watch a movie. <laughs> I love right. what I'm doing, but I'm like, why am I feeling like I have to defend being happy, doing what I do best? Like what in the right. hell is well? Yeah. But I think it was learning to embrace that thing, mine wasn't trauma growing up. Mine wasn't poverty. Mine was the chase for the A. Mine was going for the A, being the best at everything um, for whatever reason. And right. then years later, just going, I am what I am, what I am. Take it or leave it. And yeah. I think that's such a good point that you make about it being for whatever reason. Like sometimes we get so caught up on what's the reason, what made me this way, but at the end of it, it doesn't matter what the reason was because we are the way we are. We just need to accept it and move on. I, mean, I dealt with that where I was seeing my therapist and it was like, I got to stop figuring out, trying to figure out why I'm gay. And because it doesn't change the fact that this is who exactly. I am. And there are certain things now where it's like, why am I a procrastinator? Why am I this? Why am I whatever? It's like, well, exactly. This is what's in my head. So how do I make that work for me and be yeah. aware of what could get me in trouble? what could push me forward and learn how to use it in the best way. So. And I mean, I think I'm not saying that therapy is not great, but therapists make their money off of the why. 
Right. Yeah. Why do you feel this way? Why did you do that? Why do you want to be this person? And, and that's fine. That's needed in many cases. But I think you bring up a really good point when you finally get to the place where you're like, it doesn't matter the why anymore. It's the yeah. data, right? So I always say when I was working with clients and they were like, well, I, I didn't lose any weight this week and I didn't do this. Now I want you to tell me, you know, I don't want to tell you I weigh 180. And I'm like, it's data. There's no emotion to data. There's no emotion to it's 80 degrees or that you weigh 180. I need the data. So then we can go back and figure out there's no punishment or judgment. Yeah, that we just, that. yeah because we're going to figure out where to go from here and we can't decide where exactly. to go without the right data. And that's the data that you said, you know, the the fact that I grew up in this particular environment and where I was and where I've ended up, my personal and professional resume got me to right here talking to you and I can't change yesterday and I don't know what the hell's happening tomorrow. So what's other choice do you have? Yeah. Take a breath, yeah. go for the ride and buckle up for today. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that I kind of have the light bulb moment with people where they'll talk about like, let's say they're 180 and they want to be 160 or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is my thing. And it's like, well, I don't care. You can be 180. And they're like, huh? It's like, yeah, if you, if, if you, you don't have to do these things I'm telling you to do, or you don't have to try these things we're working on, it doesn't matter to me. And they're like, oh, I don't. I was like, yeah, but you also won't get to your goal. So you have to be honest with yourself about if you're trying to create anything in your life to be a certain way, whether it's money or healthy lifestyle or the, the days that you're working type of job, you know, you got to stop getting caught up on this. Oh, well, I'm trying to do all these things because it's what I think I should. But well, maybe you don't really want that thing bad enough. And that's that's fine. Just admit it. And right. Live, but and I think part of it, too, is getting to know yourself. So whenever I work with clients and even right now, my oldest son is dating a new gal. And it's so funny because I love it when your kids grow up and they finally think that, you know, something <laughs> right. That's right? You start getting calls question. like, mom, do you know what a carbohydrate is? And I'm like, or, you know, whatever. So he, the son reached out to me the other day and he goes, you know, those type of test things that you always do with your clients, like, what are all those? Cause I want, you know, both of us to do them. And I'm like, you know, what is your love language? Are you right or left brain? Do you know, are you, what is your biorhythm and chronotype? And are you, what's your learning style? Are you kinesthetic or audio? And I do all of those because it helps me coach them where they are. If you're acts of service and you want to volunteer to get out of your house and work on depression, why are we talking about words of affirmation or touch, right. hug your kids, yeah. hug your kids? <laughs> so everybody's is different. So I try to kind of a, a little bit of a push back on them to say, let's figure out just innately how you think. Are you left brain and want to check off boxes? Or do you want to paint all day? Well, maybe because you want to paint all day, this checkoff boxes of go to the gym, make a salad, aren't going to work. Yeah. Go find me a new recipe for a salad might work. Yeah. And it's funny how even our offspring that we've raised and spent so much time with can be so opposite and different that like we can't make the assumption that, oh, you're my kid. And I know, we might know okay, these are the ways that I know you're like me or you're, you're I like that. I like that because, you know, my youngest has just had his second boy and it's, oh, the best part, Andy, you just wait. When you become a grandparent, because I'm one of those that just, I decided um, years ago that when my children had children, I was going to take the role of, if you want my advice, I am not going to tell you he shouldn't have a pacifier. I am not going to take that role. I am here because it's your life path and I'm just on a ride watching along. So if it's not life threatening, but what's fun to watch is to sit back and go, yeah, you have two sons and so do I. And I can <laughs> see the 
I can see the traits in the little <laughs> one or, you know, the oldest one going, and that's the one that's going to sneak out of the window. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it coming. Yeah, that is funny how you can see it. Uh, and you can see those traits. You're absolutely that. right. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I look forward to experiencing that. That'll be soon enough, I'm sure. Yeah, it it it's fun because you can see those traits, like you said. It's not just like, oh, he has blue eyes, and oh, that's just really great. But the how the approach to things, you know, whether they look like they're going to be an engineer at age two, I can already see that in them that I didn't see those types in my kids. It was like, leave the garage door open or alone. We already pushed it once. Where crew is over here 20 times pushing it. And I'm just saying that works. And yeah, like work with that. There's a reason that that's fascinating to him. Yeah. And I think that when we're raising our own kids, we're so in the moment that we are just getting through and getting by. And when we've already raised our kids and now we're watching the next generation be raised, we can Absolutely. think about, I, rem I have these memories from my kid and this is what it turned into. So now when I look at this one, I can see where it's going to go. Yeah, especially if there are years apart, you know, my oldest and my youngest are seven years apart. So I was able to kind of step back and maybe not be quite so in the moment. I was an older mom, obviously. So it's kind of like raising two, two kiddos, but yeah, I could, I see what you're saying that sometimes you're just dealing with that current fire that you're not projecting right. they're yeah. going to go to college and get a PhD when they're hands are all muddy. I was just thinking I wanted to to mention to you that now that we're talking about kids, this book that I had written with my youngest son, yes. that, um, it went to bestseller last week and we just released it. And what's okay. and I'm bringing it up for a reason is just the fact that to be able to connect with his writing skills of which he's always had, mm -hmm. I still have his poetry and stuff I have on our landing page of when he was so young, he couldn't write. He would just, I would throw a word at him like policeman mm -hmm. and he would just say different adjectives or verbs. And I would create these little poems and I still have them all. So when we did these, we're going to do these book series, we decided to take the, his adventures. So they're really his adventures of a child. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the book, we do a mom's take and a, his take looking back at it. So now he's 29. And I'm just like, do you know why I didn't want you to, you know, climb the tree? And he's like, well, at the time, I didn't really care. I just wanted to climb the tree. <laughs> but now we take that. And then at the back of the book, we have parent prompts where it's like questions where they can actually talk to their child that they just read the book with. So we're going to do a book of um, five book series. But since we were talking about kids, I mean, how cool oh, is that? To go that back? is so awesome. When I saw that you released that, I was just like, this is so awesome. And for those who are listening and, and didn't see it, Peggy held up the cover and it's the boy with the broken nose. You can find it on Amazon and Oliver. It's it's an it's a, such a cute book. Um, I love the graphics in it. Uh, oh, so. I have the best illustrator ever on the planet. When you can have things, you know, because um, you kind of get into that color and the branding pop and the things like that, because there are a lot of people, I think, what is it? 60 percent of the population is visual. Yeah. Um you know, that is really important when you're writing a children's book is to yeah. make it pop for the reader and in the store or wherever, but to also bring those characters alive. Andy, that was the most different because I wrote the actual, um, I have it right here. I wrote the actual book 23 years ago. Oh, so wow. this, this okay. is the actual book when he was seven that I wrote. And then yeah. we took all of the characters and with a children's book, when you can see them come alive, I remember going through the storyboard and I just started crying mm. because he, the illustrator I work with, and if you guys ever work with an illustrator, author, 
publisher agent that doesn't jive with you, break up with them because you're not going to change, you know, change them and they can go on and work with somebody else beautifully. But when you have a really good illustrator that hears it and I saw his character pop up and with his T on his shirt and it's so emotional because that's your, it's like finding yeah, that's your, your Ryan Reynolds to play you in a movie, right? And go, oh, right. <laughs> well, and that's such a good point about, you know, breaking up sooner because they will click with somebody else. It's not a rejection of them. It's a rejection of our energy didn't work together. And that's 100%. wasting each other's time if you're making it harder. Right. And we're the customer. I used to say this, you know, Dr. Vetstein that you interviewed, he's a co-author for mine of the All Things Wellness series. And I met him in 2009 as his office manager in Grand Junction, Colorado. So I opened up his endocrinology clinic and he was the brand new dude coming to town from Connecticut. So I'm sitting there with the staff and he's coming in for the first time. And, you know, he's German, of course. And we just connected on a brother, um, buddy, extremely close friendship. And here we are years later writing books together. Um, But in his practice is when I really realized we are the customer. If your physician doesn't drive with jive with you, find another. If you don't like McDonald's, go shopping somewhere else. If you don't like your, it's okay. It's just like you said, I'm not the coach for everybody. And Andy's not the comedian for everybody. Right. Yeah. And I don't like, like you said earlier, you don't want to be, I'd rather you Mm -hmm. go find the people that you connect with than trying to tell me how I need to change to make me fit into what you're looking for. And I think that aligns with your awkward thing as well. Your brand is the fact that when it is so exhausting and feels so misaligned. And like I said earlier, your vessel is getting sick. You have more infections, more migraines, more even twisting your ankle and breaking your wrist, twisting Mm -hmm. your ankle, breaking your wrist. Why is that happening? You're tired, not paying attention. You're racing from something. There's reason. Mm -hmm. So if all of that is angst, who you work with, where you drive, where you live, what you're wearing, why is it causing angst? Probably because a lot of other human beings are involved that just aren't, you know, your energy is just not matching. It's and then we wonder why we're so stressed all the time. What's going on, you know? Right, exactly. Since we were talking about kids, I was curious, <laughs> how had how did this being a perfectionist affect your, you know, being a mom? That's so, Andy, that's so <laughs> good. Um that's a really good question. I ended up in a relationship with a Taurus, just saying, but we were, <laughs> I'm a Capricorn, so those kids were screwed. Um, but we were very much about our kids. Like, like we didn't have grandchildren, grandparents around our children who were always like, let's take them for the weekend, take them for the weekend. It was both their kid, my kid's dad and me doing you know, everything we made it about them. So their sports, their activities, their school. And, you know, yeah, I had OCD. I mean, my house was always clean and the toothbrush went in a certain thing, a certain way. But I would hope that they would say that that tough love strictness was delivered as such when they were younger, instead of trying to be like us. You know, I think I felt with my perfectionism, I honestly felt like there was there was no tunnel. I felt like the beacon and I don't everybody take that egotistically or whatever. But I I always felt like I was a little bit ahead in the sense of like it was hard. Mm-hmm. Where's the light? Where's the possibilities? And so after 20 or 30 years of that, I was just, you know, so it's OK. I'm out front. Well, guess what? Now I know what happens when I have things that don't go well. It's 
but when you're 15 and 20 and you know young I was a 21 year old mother the first time around so I was very young there's no book even though there are a bunch of books everybody is different oh, yeah you know and um they were very good at sports they were very good in school I tried to commend the positives and work through I mean you guys, even with the books, the approach I'm taking with these books is I really said to my kids, if you're going to lie to me, I'm going to triangulate the hell out of you. <laughs> so and I did right away. They'll tell you to the second. If Tanner came in and said something that, well, dad said I could go to Charlie's house. Mm-hmm. Let's go get dad. And we'd sit down. And then when they, when my oldest was 10 and my youngest was three and they were battling each other and just being me, I made them go into their rooms and think about five or six things they loved about each other. They mm-hmm. came up, we had meetings, hated it. Yeah. But I, I used I to didn't... make my boys um, hug until they laughed. Oh, Jesus. When they were See, fine. You know, when they're like three and four, it was like so fun because they would just be like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden they'd start laughing. And um, But yeah. that's what that's what I hope you're, you know, everybody's just hearing is the fact of take what you do well. Okay. I, I did have perfectionism issues and OCD and that type of stuff, but when, and good communication skills. And right. I taught that to my children, you know, I had notes left on my bed when they couldn't come to me and say, mom, I want to talk to you. I told Tanner, he had a special rock and he'd bring oh. the rock and he'd set it on my, cause he's very emotional and, and you know, empathy. Yeah. And he'd set it on my dresser, which was a sign to me. He wanted to talk, but he didn't know how to start the sentence. So oh, I would go yeah. in and I'd say, there's something that, you know, want to tell me or whatever. And then he could would be okay. So if if communication was my skill, then teach your children how to communicate. If, you know, if volunteering is your thing, then bring your kids to the soup kitchen. Instead of just telling them everything they're doing wrong and have to be, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, now I can say that my kids are really, really good communicators and, you know, their houses aren't trashed. (laughs) Their toilets are clean. We have these values that we hit, right? And, right. you know, one thing you mentioned being being a mom at 21 for the first time, which is that's how old I was when my first son was born. And the thing that happens as parents, you know, I think when we're when we're kids, we we think that our parents are they're adults. And, and to a child, adult means everything's figured out and life is great and they should know right. all the answers to everything. Right. Until you become a teenager and then you think adults know nothing. But we forget when we become parents. We're trying to raise someone while we're still figuring ourselves out to a degree. One hundred percent. There's so much that I wish I knew when I was 21. I look back, I'm like, yeah, I, I tell my kids as they got older, you know, the 20s. My oldest one's 36, and um, I can still remember conversations where they were like, "Whoa, you did that!" When you become like a human to them, where they're like, you step off that perfect pedestal. Yeah. Like, wow, that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. And my kids, when I um when I was getting divorced, my kids were teenagers and they they like to say things just to push the boundary a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And I found that the only way to to get them back was to, and I especially like, you know, ribbing kind of stuff. The only way to get them back is to say something a little bit beyond the line that they took it. And they're like, oh God, Dad, no, I didn't want that. And like, well, you're the one who started it. Exactly. Well, and, and with you, sense of humor, right? I mean, if you look at like the funny stories, if you and I had a, a big speaking event and we said to everybody, you know, okay, what is it that you love to do? And they've all had children, let's pretend that what is it that you love to do or you're good at? And you go back to how they parented. 
whatever way that was, was probably the best approach. So if you knew at 21, you were a comedian and you wanted to laugh and and pick on yourself and self-deprecate, whatever, and you took that approach with your children, that really was the biggest effect that worked. Why? Because the energy was aligned. You let your shoulders down and it was more natural. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, the, like you said, there's all these books, but there's really no book because each of us are so different. The combination that we're going to have with our partner that's raising our kids with us and how our kids are like there's nothing that says okay these two people have gotten together and they've had this kid with these personalities and these issues potential or whatever so here's the book for you like that's not how it works the only way that that would work is if you really looked at a field of family trees you know and you look at the generations and generations back and because honestly, all of that comes forward a little bit, right? They say right. that, especially with trauma, you can yeah. see that great, 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 great grandfather could not drink bourbon without beating great, great, great grandmother. That stuff comes down and comes down yeah. and comes down. So it's right. not just your parents. It's not just your grandparents. And it's certainly not just me. It's a field of family trees that right. have all affected us in some way or another, just like whether we have blue eyes or whatever, we've been impacted by those differences, those experiences. Yeah. So uh, I I could talk to you like forever about all, oh, there's so much, there, as you can see, and as you can hear when you're listening, we have just amazing energy and stories we could just go on. Uh, but I don't want to miss the chance to talk about the wellness war and the next book that's coming out that's, that is getting worked on right now. We're all writing our stories. Um, right. No, how did this project get started? I know that the wellness war was the second book and that we've got a third one coming soon. And it's yep. at least 30 authors in each book. It's- yeah, it's, uh, do I, I I don't, didn't plan this. I just always have these in front of me, I guess. But the first one was um, the fourfold formula. The second one, when the wellness war, they're written with Marcus Bechstein and myself, as I said, my endocrinology buddy. Um, it's the all things wellness series. So it's a trilogy. So the third one's coming out. The first one, we've written them fast. Every eight or nine months, we've been pushing these things out. Um, But the main thing is, as I said earlier, I had decided that storytelling was the way we were going to connect. I saw my coaching practice kind of sliding in the sense of it got felt very mundane, even though I felt cutting edge, it still felt mundane. I think people were sick and tired of being told what to do, self-help books, all that stuff. So that's when I realized storytelling was the flip that I wanted to take and connect people. So the books all have 30 authors. Um, and it's chicken soup of the soul type feel. So you can write about anything. Um, my coaching, all things wellness wheel, which is a trademarked wheel has four segments, mind, spirit, body, and heart. And that's how the book is based is those four chapters, the spokes of the wellness wheel. So I kind of put my coaching stuff in there, which Andy, I do think sets us apart from other compilation books because it's not just stories. There's actual coaching and physician content and, um, helping you navigate your own wellness. Uh, so that's coming up. And then I have an unsheltered project. I'm doing co-authoring with Den- Dennis Patoko and the unsheltered project. If you go onto my website at allthingswellness.com, there's an author's tab and you can kind of see all the fun stuff going on. So the unshelters tab will help you understand that it's stories from those that are unsheltered or homeless. So we're actually on the ground, hitting the ground, working with nonprofits, um, team members. If you want to be a part or know somebody who's been homeless or you are, um, or an organization that's worked with the homeless, hop on my website. We have contact page buttons on there, left and right, how to get in touch with us. And what else am I working on? Um, Oh, one more thing. Joe DeMio. So Joe DeMio is writing the forward for my next book, but I'm also helping him write his 
book. Joe is a 25-year-old man who is the first in the world successful face and dual hand transplant recipient. He got in a really bad car accident when he was 20 years old and burned 80% of his body. He was in a coma for three months. Long story short, he has a 48, almost 48-year-old man's face and hands. The gentleman passed away with a stroke and <clears throat> Joe is writing the forward for Wellness GPS, and I'm helping him. Any blogs for me? So, wow, that's Oops. beautiful. I know. So what don't you have going on is more of the question than what do you have going so on? Much fun. <laughs> well, I think it's aligned with what you and I were chatting about before we started. And let's just keep it consent. You know, I won't give any secrets away, but it really is figuring out what makes you feel rested. When you see the whites of somebody's eyes, watch your body language, guys, or people around you. When you lean forward and those eyes open up and you start to put color in your face and smile, that's your purpose. That's your passion right there. And then lean into that because even if that feels like work or there are to do things to do with that, whether it's writing, painting, singing, whatever, lean into that. And that's where the energy has to go, man. I, I love that. I love that you mentioned earlier how, you know, people like, oh, take a break, watch a movie. You're like, I enjoy what I'm doing. I don't want to go sit and watch a movie. And I've had that same conversation, like that resonated so much because I've had that same conversation. People are like, how have you not seen this show, this show or this show? And I'm like, I'll put it on the list and I'll watch it someday. But I have sat down to, to start a movie and been like, this isn't what I want to do. I, See, I know, I know. Yeah, and there's this idea that we should have guilt around being a workaholic, around working so much, but it's like, this is what I like to do. And to me, it's not work. It's, it's helping people. It's, it's fun to find different ways to be quirky and inspiring and put a message out there. And you know, I'll be going through my day and like people are like, how do you come up with your stuff? It's like, well, I'm driving down the road and I see a bump on the road and I think, oh, what are the bumps in road and that we go through in life? And how do we just keep going and don't let it slow you down? And if you go fast enough, you'll just, you know, like, this whole, like my mind just goes to this whole diatribe in my head uh, that's now a blog or a video yeah. and I can't explain where it came from just a little some little trigger but no and in my in society tells us over and over go get a massage or pick up a guitar and play there's all of this real kick for 10 years on self-help well what if self-help really is just all about balancing what you like and don't like so what if self-help for me is writing all day long when it gets unhealthy is when it's 17 hours right so why are you upset at what i'm doing <laughs> as long as i mean there's no sex, drugs, rock and roll. I'm not in jail. Nobody's dead. I, I, right. I mean, why are you not commending me for just enjoying what I love to do? But no, don't do it 17 hours a day. I get it. Right. Well, and, and I think that is one of the things that happens is that people see what is supposed to be the planned out life on paper of, you know, X amount of hours at work, X amount of hours at home, this type of recreation, vacation. And if they see someone who is successful and happy and living a great life, and they're not following that formula, it, it really kind of pisses them off because they're like, wait, you're breaking all the rules. And why do you why are you smiling so big? Why is your energy so great when you're not even doing the things you're supposed to be doing? And because they can't they find the courage to do that themselves or find the thing that gives them that spark, then it switches to this focus on, well, you must have a problem in your life 
and not, oh, I need to figure out how to do it myself. I love that. I remember a couple of years ago, I, I moved to Florida. I told my kids that's where I always wanted to be. I've been trying to get here for 30 years. And I just said, hey, I'm not going to sit here and crochet. And you're going to go off and marry somebody from Tennessee anyway. So what a waste for me. I'm going to go over here. You can come find me, bring the kids. And that's how, and I'll come back and see yeah. you. So once I moved here and then started working for myself, no one knows if I get up at 530 in the morning, but man, they were making me feel bad if I was on my beachcomber bike at two o'clock in the afternoon, riding it for 20 yeah. minutes and everyone else around me is retired. And I started to own that and feel that. And so finally, I did a TikTok one day in tears. Yes, I have a TikTok show. And I was just in tears going no longer. If I yeah. want to ride my bike at two o'clock in the afternoon with a bunch of retired people down in the harbor. Yeah. Down, mm -hmm. down, people. So, yeah. but you're right. We're having fun and enjoying our lives. And people are like, why, where's the misery? Why are you not miserable? What? Yeah, no, there is. I've had that same situation where, and it's the same thing, two o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, I'm not working right now. I'm just going for a walk or a hike or, you know, or right. even taking a break at home because I know I'm going to have a, a busy evening. And, and I feel like I should be guilty because it's in quote unquote business hours. Yet, like you said, no one knows that I'm going to be up till 2 a.m. or that I was up last night at three or four in the morning because some inspirations, you know, struck and I pulled out the laptop. So. Love it. It's a, no, it's exactly right. We got to lean into us. It's like you do you, boo, right? That's right. just, you know, um, one of the things I've been saying, um, and I know we're going to have to tie it up, but uh, one of the things I've been saying lately is don't jump into the chapter of my life that you just started to read. Like, don't jump. If you're jumping into this chapter, you got a lot to read. Yeah, you got a lot of catch so, up. Yeah. I love that. If you're sliding into my little comment section based off something I just said. Go read book Figure out the history. 80. Yeah. Is <laughs> uh -huh. Harry Potter, you read the last one, you might want to read the first one. So yeah, I love that. Know, they connect in a way. Okay. So I'm going to ask you for some advice in one second. But before that, you mentioned all these projects you have going on. Where is the best place for people to support you, to show you love, to, hmm. to really give you the, the online? Oh my God. If uh, So you can email me always questions, comments. If you ever want to be on my show, write a story, Peggy at allthingswellness.com. Anything pretty much that's all all things wellness YouTube channel. They can hop on my website is the best playground, allthingswellness.com to really see what's going on, what's been going on, you know, a little bedtime reading. So that's the best place there. Excellent. And before we go, um, what would you, what advice would you, or what advice or challenge would you give people this week? So how they could own their awkward as they go. Ooh, I, 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 this may not seem like it makes any sense, but if you act like you're blind, right? If you act like you're blind, you can't see what others look like, how much they weigh, what they're doing. Your other senses are heightened. And if you just walk around this week acting as if your eyes are blind, what is your awkward? What are your places that you can love and embrace for the differences and let go of anything else that you see you're judging yourself to? I don't care if the Joneses have a boat, you guys. So own your awkward this week, lean into it, keep your eyes shut. Oh, I love that. That's what I say. That, Call to action. Yeah, I, I love that idea because it's true. Like your sense, your other senses are raised and there is something to cutting off one piece of your experience in order to experience others at a deeper yes. level. Yeah. 
embrace your awkward as long as you have the things that I said, right? Monitor your body. So is your blood pressure high because it's good and you're excited? Are you leaning forward and smiling or frowning? And whatever that high, that dopamine fix is, that's the place you need to sit in and figure out how to take advantage of that in whatever fashion. So play there. Play with your dopamine cup. Play in that space. I love it. Well, Figgy, it's always inspiring. It's just like getting together with you just starts the day out, you know, and makes it amazing for uh, for anybody because you just get that energy, you get the challenge, you get the inspiration. So thank you so much. I so love it. Thank you for having me. And everybody else, go out there this week, close your eyes and figure out how to own your awkward. Thank you so much for listening in for today's show. Be sure to visit awkwardcareer.com to continue your journey. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends so they can find their awkward side and learn how to own it.